And welcome, everyone, to our Sunday edition of BAMS Radio, a, a historic one for Alabama from the standpoint of they are now 8-0, and uh, once again, Nick Saban now 5-1 and against the Auburn Tigers inside Bryant-Denny Stadium, another beatdown, 42-13. to I'm your host, Drudy Armin. Of course, I'm with my usual cohorts, Thomas the Wizard Watson Mobile, doing a great job producing, also giving us his unique takes from a numbers and a uh, knowledge standpoint on the game of football. William Redfish Barger from 89 to 93, a member of the Crimson Tide in his playing days on the field, three and one against the Tigers. So a lot of success for William. Uh, and now uh, we, uh, we look forward to breaking this game down. We'll, we'll even talk a little recruiting this week as there's, there is uh, some, uh, some actual visitors in the stands for the university of Alabama, at least a couple that we have confirmed. And we'll give uh, some thoughts on that. And uh, of course, look ahead to, what we hope is a 66-7, to seven, that's my prediction, shellacking of the LSU Tigers uh, inside uh, Baton Rouge and Tiger Stadium where Alabama should pay property taxes because they basically own LSU there. And another opt-out for the Tigers today as well, Terrace Marshall, their outstanding wide receiver, he has opted out after their latest loss, a 20-7 to seven one on the road to Texas A&M. But I'm uh, going to bring my two cohorts into the conversation. First, William Barger. William, I hope you had a great week. Happy Thanksgiving, man. Welcome back to BAMS. How are you tonight? Doing good, man. I hope your holiday was was, was good as well. Um, really enjoyed the, the ball game yesterday. Um, you know, I, I think most people felt like Alabama was going to, you know, win the game handily. But uh, there was some, you know, rather dominating performances individually um, in that game yesterday for you know, guys like Najee Harris, Devonta Smith, not uh, Mac Jones. Um, it was good continuing to see Steve Sarkeesian um, integrating Jamil Billingsley into the passing game some more. He had a touchdown pass. Uh, thought the offensive line did a, another great job. So, um, you know, here, here it is, um, you know, the, the I think it's time, you know, that, that people start having this conversation. Um you know, if you go down through all the, you know, the offensive coordinators that, that Nick Saban has had since he's been the head coach at Alabama, I mean, certainly I think Steve Sarkeesian has put himself into the conversation this year with, uh, you know, maybe being the best combination of a quarterback coach and a play caller. I completely agree with that. Uh, I just think he's a brilliant play caller, William. I love the way he sets things up. And you got to give him a lot of credit because – they get to the Iron Bowl, and they ha- they still don't have Jalen Waddle. And then Slade Bolden played only a handful of snaps, and they had to re- have Devontae Smith back on punt return. And he got, as you just pointed out, Jaleel Billingsley continues to have a, a role grow in this offense. So, in effect, they were down their top two slot receivers, and they didn't skip a beat from a production standpoint. No, and, and you know, it's, it's good to see the – you know, the balance starting to come into it with, with the running game. You know, I think Najee probably had his longest run of the season last night um, from scrimmage. And, you know, to continue to, uh, you know, get him involved in the passing game as a receiver out of the backfield. So, um, and, and, you know, for somebody that hasn't been all that excited about the, the defensive coordinator this year, I mean, I thought the defense um, took some positive steps forward last night as well. So, um, you know, real good team win. Um, you know, it's, uh, I think it's good that they're going to, you know, be able to make up this LSU game next Saturday. Um, you know, but I, I don't, I don't think Nick Saban wants any more extended layoffs after what happened, you know, in that first quarter against Kentucky. Yeah, that's another really good point. Uh, no doubt about it. And I thought, as you said, the defense got better. We've, we, we've said it, you either get better or you get worse. I thought it was their best tackling game of the year. I thought a year ago Auburn was the more aggressive team and basically uh, was the more physical bunch and kind of took it to Alabama a little bit, even though the Tides certainly battled in that game and, and really and nearly won it 48-45. But I, I thought uh, at key moments Auburn won the physical battle. I never thought that yesterday. I thought Alabama from the jump, from the first uh, play of the game, uh, was the more physical team. I honestly thought by the second quarter that you saw some Auburn guys kind of looking out their ear holes 
uh, you know, that they were starting to, they had their head on a swivel, uh, anticipating contact. And I just thought overall, offensively and defensively, Alabama won the game up front. You played in, you know, four of these games, and so you know how it is. But I always think that the team with the, uh, that uh, is the most physical wins the game. No, I, I, I agree. And I do think that, you know, that Alabama team was kind of caught a little flat-footed in Jordan-Hare Stadium last year. I don't think they were expecting Auburn, you know, to get after them the way that they did. Um, and, and even with some, um, you know, unfortunate turnovers, um, Alabama still had a chance to, you know, win it, you know, in, in the fourth quarter, but they didn't do it. Uh, it never, never got to that point this year. I mean, this thing was pretty much in hand at halftime. And, uh, you know, some guys are able to pad their stats statistically in the second half. But, again, I think when you figure, you know, the the in-state rivals, some of the young running backs got to play. There's a lot of, um, you know, guys that got to play on defense. So they got some good experience for the young kids. And, uh, you know, seemed to have come out of the game relatively healthy. Maybe, maybe everybody except for the head coach. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so. Steve Sarkeesian, a lot of people are talking about him auditioning for the head coaching job. You know, that that's probably going to be, I still think, several seasons down the road, but he'll certainly be on the short list. I, I, I agree with you. I think he's my favorite OC that Saban has had. I love the way he spreads the ball around. He always seems to be able to tweak things if he doesn't have someone available and, and, uh, and, and, and ingratiate somebody else into the game plan, which I think he's done with uh, Jaleel Billingsley. Jaleel is a guy... I'm really excited about him, and his teammates mobbed him, William, when he got his first touchdown of his career this past Saturday night uh, because I really think they see the talent in the young man. I think his career arc is a lot like that of Irv Smith, and I'm still going to say this. I still think he can make it a conversation with Arik Gilbert. We haven't seen a ton out of Arik. I mean, it's not all his fault. I mean, he does, they haven't had the, the greatest offensive production and consistent you know, quarterback play due to uh, certainly – uh, you know, uh, Miles Brennan being injured and then two freshman QBs. But I still think Jaleel is a guy that can be a matchup nightmare. And I was really impressed with him yesterday, William, because that was a great throw by Mac Jones. But it was a really good adjustment from a hand standpoint and being able to contort his body to really make that catch look easier than it was. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I think that's all you can ask out of somebody like that at this stage in the game is, um, yeah, just continue to get better every week. You know, he's starting to have a more more and more of an impact and, uh, you know, getting comfortable. But I, I was sitting there thinking to myself when you were going over, um, you know, Steve Sarkeesian's name being on the on the short list, um, you know, when Nick Saban finally decides that he's had enough, which I don't know if he ever will have enough. Um, the uh, I did get a kick out of him yesterday having his coat and tie on for the um, – you know, the broadcast and all that, even though he was, you know, doing a, doing a zoom session from his house. But, um, I, I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't have a problem with it if, if the powers to be, you know, Sarkeesian's a great offensive mind. Um, he's an excellent recruiter. I mean, all he'd have to have is, you know, go out and hire a really good defensive coordinator and, you know, with, with the way he's able to recruit and always has been able to, um, and develop quarterbacks and, um, you know, putting together an explosive offense like he has two seasons in a row. Um, that'd be an interesting conversation piece. Yeah, it really would. And, William, I always ask you, because I like getting your observations, uh, but your thoughts on the play of the offensive line. Uh, of course, they had some breakdowns. Bryce Young got in, Alex Leatherwood got beat inside, but uh, really they controlled the game for much of it uh, once again. There were some rumors about Evan Neal's health, but he was fine. He played in the game. And, of course, we saw more really good work from Landon Dickerson. Uh, but uh, your thoughts overall on how the offensive line played against Auburn? I mean, I thought it was another, you know, impressive workmanlike performance. I mean, they, you know, they dictated the style of play and imposed their will on Auburn's front seven. Um, you know, you saw all the, you know, explosive plays that were made, you know, because of the protect protection that Mac Jones was afforded and also – some very, very gaping holes uh, that they were able to open up for Najee Harris and those running backs. Um, yeah, I, I think that's certainly going to be, you know, one of the three finalists for the uh, 
Joe Moore Award here in, in, in a month or so. So um, I, I think that's got to be some sort of record. Um, you know, I think since they started that award, the Alabama's been one of the three finalists almost on an annual basis. So, you know, somebody's doing a really good job of, of evaluating those players uh, coming out of high school. And it uh, doesn't really matter who it is on the field. Um, they continue to do a good job of, of you know, coaching them up and uh, teaching them how to be good at their craft and, and have an opportunity to take it to the next level. Yeah, they really have. And, uh, you know, I, I got to say, too, um, you know, I, I, once again, I thought uh, Mac Jones had really good pocket presence. He stepped up in the pocket when he needed to. And I made this statement when we had a call-in show post game for on our radio station first time all year but i made the statement to the people i was watching the game with after watching Devonte smith and what he did yesterday seven catches for 171 yards and two touchdowns some may think this is blasphemy but i think he is as good as any wide receiver that's ever played at alabama and i, I know what i'm no, talking I, about I, you know I, I i i can't disagree with you um you know when right um, and, and I think even more so with what's happened after, you know, Jalen Waddle's injury. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, I think he got, a, he got a little bit of relief in the sense that, you know, Mechie has turned into, you know, such a, a dangerous receiver himself. But, you know, the, you know, the defensive coordinators around the league were breathing a sigh of relief. Not that anybody ever hopes that, that a young man, you know, gets injured like, like Jalen did, but. You know, certainly their jobs became – or I think they thought their jobs had just become easier, but then all of a sudden it just turned into the um, Devonta Smith show. And, you know, like you said, I mean, he's got the records. Um, he, like I said, um, I, I was real excited to see him, um, you know, returning, uh, returning punts. Um, that was kind of a, a no-brainer to me when it, when it happened um, just because he is so dangerously elusive and fast and – um, but man, what a what a great career that young man's had! And um, you know, we, we talked about the body control and the balance and the, you know the hands, and um, you know, just kind of quietly, at least for me, um, you know, I guess it was because you know you had, you had Rugs and <clears throat> Judy, and then all of course you know Waddle burst on the scene, and you know, I think Devonta kind of got um, overlooked there for a period of time. But man, he's he is certainly made himself some money um, in the 2020 football season. He certainly has, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, he's he was uh, unbelievable again, taking the and – and he's faster than he looks. I mean, he yeah. ran away from the entire Auburn secondary on that uh, slant, which was uh, – of course, uh, uh, we, we saw Mac Jones take a shot, but he got rid of it. And uh, what, a, what a play uh, to answer uh, that Auburn field goal and really – uh, get Alabama rolling. Uh, just a special player, Devontae Smith. Just been a true pleasure to watch him in his time uh, at the University of Alabama, no doubt about it. One of my favorites uh, of all time. Najee Harris, uh, William, this may, this may come in handy later. I thought he would get a bigger workload against the Auburn Tigers, but uh, Auburn was loading the box early. Sark came out throwing the football. And then they got Najee going, and he had the 39-yard touchdown. Uh, but 130 yards on only 13 touches, uh, as he had 11 carries for 96 yards in that touchdown, and then two catches for 34 yards. That may help down this stretch in December. I know he got a little nicked up with his ankle in the game, but they didn't have to give him a heavy workload like they did a year ago. So Najee should be in, uh, I would, pretty fresh going into the game against LSU. And he really hurt the Bayou Bengals last year. Yeah, he did. I had forgotten about that until you just mentioned it. Yeah, he, he, he really um, had a great game against them last year. And, you know, it's just if – you, if you think back to – and not that the offense was bad, um, you know, in, in 2010, 11, and even into 12 – um, it just was different. You know, it was a pro-style offense. They did their best to protect, protect their great defense. You know, it was, you know, more – and, you know, you had Amari Cooper, um, you know, there towards the end of that period of time. But um, it's just amazing to me to sit here and think that, you know, you're going to have Alabama's quarterback, it's, it's running back, it's wide receiver, and the offensive line 
probably all are going to be finalists for the national awards at those positions. I mean, that, that's got to be some sort of record. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I, I was thinking about that myself, William. I don't see how Alabama's offensive line is not the Joe Moore Award winner. Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame's is going to get some pub. There's no doubt about it. They, they've had one heck of a year, but I mean, and then you've got Najee Harris, who I think should be the favorite for the Doak Walker Award. If they don't give Devontae Smith the Bolitnikov, I don't give a damn how many catches and yards Elijah Moore has at Ole Miss. Devontae Smith, is, they beat Ole Miss head-to-head. He's had, he always shows up for the big games. He's got nearly 1,100 receiving yards already anyway, uh, Schmitty. I think it's 1,074 now. Uh, and he's got, he got double-digit TDs. I think he's got 12 touchdown catches. He's the Bolitnikov Award winner. And then you've got all these national awards. I, I don't, Of course, I don't think Mac Jones will win them all. You've got Trevor Lawrence. You've got Kyle Trask. I think he'll win something. Uh, so, uh, it, But it's pretty amazing. Uh, this offense and the hardware, they've got a chance to, uh, to bring in. Just about every national award will have somebody from Alabama heavily involved. Yeah, and I think too the the, the thing that has has been so surprising to me is just how when you look at you know what that offense lost last year, um, you know with with the people that departed and are now playing on Sundays or whenever the games get rescheduled for, you know you just just in the back of your mind you had to say well there's going to be a drop off here and a drop off there and um, you know they. They, they haven't missed a beat. If anything, I think they're more dangerous than they were a year ago um, in, in a lot of different ways. And I think, you know, you got to, you know, I think credit both Nick Saban and Steve, Steve Sarkeesian. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it was not an easy decision for Nick Saban to finally realize, you know what, I, you're not going to keep, you know, some of these hurry up, no huddle spread teams, you know, that, that throw the ball 45 or 50 times a game to, you know, less than 17 points, you know, week in and week out. When he had to make the decision, well, guess what? You know, I got to figure out a way to go out there and outscore them. And, uh, man, I tell you what, Steve Sarkeesian and, and that offensive staff has, has figured it out in a brilliant fashion. Yes, they have. And I'm going to bring our colleague Thomas the Wizard Watts into the conversation. Uh, Thomas, uh, you know, I, you were very confident this was going to be a one-sided affair, as we all were. Um, I know there was some angst with Nick Saban coming down with COVID, but they had already prepared for this with the Georgia game, which was an even bigger game, really, honestly, nationally, uh, and got Nick Saban back at the last possible minute. Uh, and, of course, went on to impressively defeat the Dogs in the second half. But this really was a 42-13 to 13 score that was worse than it indicated. Absolutely. Really, it should have been 49-13, if not for an unfortunate fumble. And, it, you know, Alabama now against ranked opponents that they've seen, their average margin of victory is like 20, 21, something like that. That's pushed the Georgia amount up. And that's really crazy. Now, does it really mean that much in terms of that will directly translate to the college football playoff? Not necessarily because it's really, really hard to cross-reference different conferences, but it doesn't really matter. The context that matter that should matter to Alabama fans is Alabama in the SEC compared to Notre Dame and Clemson in the ACC or Ohio State in very limited action, and that's, that's an interesting tar baby that's developed. Or, no, that's an interesting situation that has developed in the Big, big Ten country. Uh, the... Alabama has been far and away most dominant throughout. Uh, Notre Dame has had a couple of clunkers. Ohio State had a seven-point win in one of their games. Clemson obviously has a loss, but they also struggled at BC. And Alabama's just picking them up and putting them down, just blowing them out consistently. And I don't know what else you could ask for. Alabama will roll into the SEC championship barring an absolute catastrophe undefeated and probably coming off several big wins because LSU as bad as they were when this game was supposed to be played a couple of weeks ago, they've gotten worse by some, some miracle through the opt out of Terrace Marshall for one. And two, those quarterbacks 
are seeing 35 defenders all the time. And those the poor freshman quarterbacks, they aren't ready. Like, LSU's got to get their quarterback development on lock or they will not be competitive at all this year or the next. So a lot to be happy about if you're an Alabama fan. And uh, onward to the next one. Yeah, I mean, this. I just started thinking about this, guys. I mean, I believe it was, what, 48 to 11. Auburn just beat LSU up one end and down the other. And we saw how Alabama handled Auburn. You try not to compare scores, but man. And now LSU doesn't have Terrace Marshall. Uh, I know there's going to be some people thinking that LSU may try to find a way to opt out of this one. Of course, it would be a, a, a just a really bad look for Ed Ogeron, who made his bed and now needs to pay for it. But, uh, you know, I, I you don't want to get too overly confident. But, my goodness, this LSU team is just not very good. And you think about it, the way Georgia handled Auburn, I mean, we saw that. That's why I was supremely confident coming into the Iron Bowl because I thought Alabama was the – better football team in all three phases, the healthier team, and was going to be super motivated. And make no mistake about it, guys like Devontae Smith, even a Slade Bolden, who will hopefully be healthier this week, uh, we, they, uh, the Fedarian Mathis, there's a lot of guys, are the entire linebacker core, when you talk about Chris Allen, who, by the way, had one of his better games his career, I thought, Saturday in the Iron Bowl, even though he tweaked his shoulder. Uh, you've got, of course, uh, Dylan Moses and Christian Harris. There's so many Louisiana, key Louisiana guys on this team that want to get some revenge after what happened with LSU a year ago. Well, Thomas, I'll get your reaction first. Yes, Drew. And one of the cool parts about the way the schedule has set up is that we are actually going to have some very apt comparisons across the board because Texas A&M just played LSU, and that game was a slop fest. I don't know what that was. That was – Kellen Mond being the worst version of himself. But anyway, you have LSU Florida. You also have Auburn, Texas A&M. So we will have some context there. But in terms of what what Alabama will see with the LSU Tigers, the one wide receiver that you could count on to consistently run good routes and generate separation on his own was Terrace Marshall. The rest just don't have it. And I don't really blame the guy for opting out because – he going against Pat Sertain, you could lose yourself some money if Sertain has a good game against you, and and that's just you know I, for self preservation reasons I'm okay with it, but it's really it doesn't it does not set up to be very uh, pretty for this LSU team. Uh, their offense is going to be even worse, and it was already an atrocity. And the defense, I, I mean. Does Bo Pelini last an entire year in Baton Rouge? I, I don't know. That defense has regressed. Uh, the only guy you have to hope shows up is Derek Stingley because Stingley is a fantastic corner, but it takes more than one fantastic cornerback to slow this Alabama offense down. So it's, it's just going to be bad. I think the revenge factor will be there. I am interested to see if some of the irritation with LSU, uh, with if the ducking Alabama perception was real, like if there's something that we don't know and has kind of gotten out in coaching circles, if that means that Alabama's really coming for their head, I personally don't know. And it's hard for me to believe that Nick Saban would, put, would hold down the gas pedal up 50. But – there's, there's going to be a lot of emotion coming into this game, and LSU simply doesn't have the horses to get this done, Drew. They don't, even though they've now got a night game. They ended up with a 7 o'clock game for uh, the Crimson Tide and the Bayou Bengals as it will be on uh, part of a CBS doubleheader uh, this next week. But now it's going to be interesting uh, to see where Auburn goes from here because they've got a difficult schedule left. They have to play Texas A&M next week. Then they have the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Gus Malzahn will at least be trying to go six and four. And we don't know what the bowl you know, situation is going to look like. I'm sure they're going to try to have some bowl games. We already saw the pinstripe bowl get canceled this week in New York, but we all know uh, the story behind that. It's just going to depend on a lot uh, on uh, where these bowls are located. In the state of Florida, things are still opened up. So, uh, so a lot of these bowls will probably try to be played, but certainly Auburn's goal will be to try to get to a bowl game. But right now, uh, you know, 
I know the, the hot seat talk's going to start back up with Gus Malzahn. I don't really see Auburn making a move this year. We already saw Derek Mason, and he was taking a knife to a gunfight all year. Uh, we had the, the Sarah Fuller situation yesterday. She becomes the first uh, woman to ever play in a Power 5 football game. But uh, Vandy's headed to 0-10. Let's understand something. I, I, I don't think there's any question in my mind that Jeremy Pruitt and the Tennessee Vols will get that done. Uh, and I know there's some still some talk about Jeremy. We'll see what happens there. Uh, but uh, the Auburn Tigers, once again, they uh, Gus Malzahn continues to struggle on the road. I mean, the stat that's kind of staggering to me is he's 0-4 against Alabama, LSU, uh, and Georgia in his career at Auburn. He's never won one on the road. Uh, but he does have some home wins, you know, over all three of those. So that's what's been able to keep him in Auburn. I think he'll probably get another year but it's going to be really interesting because their recruiting has already been affected adversely with Kool-Aid McKinstry uh, going to Alabama. And then they lost Jeremiah Williams to the Florida Gators from Ramsey High School. Uh, but uh, going to be really interested to see that uh, going forward. But Alabama, I think to, to circle back, uh, and I was going to bring William back in to, to continue to talk about this, the growth of this team defensively. Uh, we haven't mentioned it yet. I thought Josh Job played as good a game as he's played at Alabama yesterday. Very physical, William. Uh, you know, nearly got that fumble by about an inch from uh, Anthony Schwartz as he came in there and laid the wood. And I thought he had 10 tackles overall. But I, I really have been impressed with the way he's grown as a player this year. Yeah, and, you know, I think it's it's gotten past the point of, you know, whether you thought he could keep it all together, um, you know, mentally. Um, throughout the course of the season. I think he, like you said, he's grown a lot. Um, I think he's really, um, you know, become a leader back there opposite um, Sertan. And, um, you know, circling back around to this LSU situation for a minute, I mean, when when you look at everything that's gone on down there, on and off the field, I mean, you've got NCAA problems. Um, you know, you, you may have some uh, – uh, sexual assault problems, um, you know, the, the coaching staff, they went backwards with their coaching staff. They went backwards with the, you know, the amount of quality players that they have to put out on the field. I, I don't know if you factor all this in, especially when you consider they're the reigning national champions. I mean, it, it, I, I can't remember a national championship team going from, you know, the penthouse to the outhouse in, in, in less than 12 months like you've seen this LSU program just – erupt in flames yeah i've never seen anything like it either william because you look at their schedule and they've got alabama the florida gators and then old miss i think they're going to go two and eight i don't see how in the hell they're even going to beat old miss who will be playing for a lot more than lsu will by that time the rebels will be trying to get to a bowl game yeah, and, and you know, there's just been so much constant turmoil. If you you know, if you factor in the COVID situation and just you know Ed Odron getting a divorce, I mean, it's just been you know to the point where you, you wonder if it's you know beyond the point of being able to manage it at this stage in the game. I know they probably want to get this season um, in, in 2020 um, in their rearview mirror as quickly as possible, but. You know, this is going to be hard for, you know, Ed Ogeron to write that ship, in my opinion. Um, you know, I just think there's been too much happen, um, you know, both on and off the field down there this year. I mean, it's really and, – and I know he just got a big, nice contract extension and a big raise, but, um, you know, I, that just that, – that whole thing down there just stinks. Yeah, it really does. It, 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 it just it, – it's amazing. And I was going to bring Thomas back in. Uh, Thomas, I mean, uh, I know you've been critical of Pete Golding as well. All, we all have uh, with uh, this defense, but they really have been getting better each week. What was your overall thoughts on the defensive performance in the Iron Bowl? I think any time you have a four-game stretch where you give up one touchdown and a handful of field goals, you have an impressive defense. I think that Pete Golding deserves a lot of credit, uh, and he I've dogged him on this program over and over and over again. But the guy has, if you just look at the product on the field, most of the time, 
is a solid group of guys that continues to evolve. I think uh, this pat uh, again the Iron Bowl. You saw the front seven, particularly the front four, really impose their will on a pretty bad offensive line. But the thing is, you say a pretty bad offensive line. I'm not sure that Auburn offensive line is that much different than the Clemson Tiger offensive line. And so that should make Alabama fans feel pretty confident should the Clemson Tigers make the college football playoff. So uh, just overall, for all of the consternation, and it's deserved consternation when it comes to what Pete Golding had from the Alabama fan base, you've got to respect the fact that Golding has been able to shut down everybody put in front of him. Now, are these offenses lighting the world on fire? No, they're not. But even with these offenses that are struggling, what you really want to see is how does Alabama do comparatively? Like, if Alabama only allows 100 yards and the offense is averaging 200 before that, that's a really good defensive performance. Now, Alabama didn't get to that level because that's actually insane. I don't think anybody's done that outside of Clemson beating up on a patsy a couple of years ago. But Alabama's consistently held teams under their offensive averages, which means their defense at worst is above average. And that's not a bad spot to be in as you look over the landscape. If you want to talk about the SEC championship game briefly against Florida, Florida has no run game to speak of. So Alabama will have to will, has a has the potential to break serve pretty quickly against the Florida Gators. If you look at who Alabama might see in the college football playoff, we don't know what we're going to get with Clemson should they make it because the middle of that defense was injured to heck and back, and I don't know what the injury situation is anymore. But you know that's something you can think about. But that's just how. If you compare defenses, and I realize I made the point of it's hard to do a one-to-one comparison because everybody's kind of siloed, but it's okay if you're an Alabama fan to feel confident with what Pete Golding's been able to do, and I thought the Iron Bowl was just the continued evolution, Drew. Yeah, it really was, and we finally saw Will Anderson get off the schneid and get a sack. Uh, and As I said, we saw Chris Allen bring pressure. Uh, I saw Justin Aboig be back there. He did a nice job getting off block. But I got to say this. We, we've kind of buried the lead defensively. And William is one of my go-tos whenever uh, we talk about line play. But I'm going to tell you something, William. And I and I loved Quinn Williams. You know I did. And how he developed. But I'm going to tell you, this Tim Smith, he is going to be a son of a bitch in another year. He's already good. But I'm telling you, I haven't seen a D lineman run. I mean, have you seen many nose guards that go 10 yards downfield to knock the piss out of somebody? This dude is going to be a monstrosity. I think he's been a big key to this defensive improvement. He has. And and also, too, I think the guy that's, um, you know, impressed me just with with where he was this time last year to where he is now is Fidarian Mathis. Yes, um, you know, he, he's gotten to be where he's, you know, real productive, real disruptive week in and week out. Um, you know, I, even though his, you know, uh, game reps haven't been what I would hope it would be, you know, Barrymore still gets in there and causes people problems. But, yeah, with a full year in the strength and conditioning program, Timmy Smith will be a load um, for opposing offensive lines to deal with next year. Um, and he's kind of starting to, you know, you're starting to see glimpses of it right now. Yeah. And one of the biggest things that Alabama is going to have to do going into next season is they need to talk Christian Barmore into coming back to school. Cause he's still not ready yet. I think he needs another year. You need Christian Barmore and Tim Smith next to each other because they're both so disruptive. Uh, Barmore was, I thought really good yesterday too. Auburn couldn't handle him. And then with some of these other linemen that Alabama's recruiting and some of these young outside backers, we've seen Will Anderson, Drew Sanders flashed on special teams yesterday. Alabama's got some scary talent that's going to be being developed on, uh, defensively. Uh, you know, Christian Harris will be back for his third year to inside backer. We know now Dylan Moses is not coming back. He took part in the senior day festivities. We, yeah, I think everybody knew that. He's going to move on. But, you know, there's a lot of really good young talent 
that they've recruited in the last couple of classes. And it's going to be stacked with this one coming in as well in 2021. But a lot of disruptive guys. And if Alabama could get somebody like Shamar Turner, who I think they're, you know, deeper into this than people realize at Texas A&M, I think if they continue on the path they're on and continue to make a move or two here, they could steal Shamar Turner from Texas A&M. But, William, I'm telling you, uh, you, if you think about a Shamar Turner, a Tim Smith, potentially another year out of Barmore, that D-line, we've already, you've already seen Justin Aboybe, and you've also pointed out Byron Young. Uh, this D-line is going to be really good in the future. It is. And, and as you were going down the list of names, because I thought he had another outstanding performance yesterday, um, I, I know I can raise my hand. I had no idea that he was going to turn out to be this good um, as, as quickly as he has as a true freshman. But, you know, Malachi Moore had another oh, just off-the-chain yes. off performance yesterday. And, uh, you know, he, he's, he, you know, as a true freshman, um, you know, he's, he's going to be one of the, the, you know, top DBs for the postseason awards as well. Certainly he's going to be, you know, all-SEC freshman, freshman All-American. But, I mean, I think he's – you know, put himself into the conversation that, you know, maybe he won't get it, but he's going to be in the conversation for the top DB in the country. Well, and here's what I, I, I just, I even just said this on Twitter during the show, and I'm going to get the take from both you and Thomas. The stunning thing about Malachi and his development, and, and by the way, that was a huge play from a momentum standpoint to get that interception at the end of the first half yesterday and read that play from Bo Nix because Yes, Seth Williams dropped what's a, what was a potential touchdown, but you know to get that turnover and to give Alabama the momentum going into the locker room was huge. And they were going to get the football as well. And Malachi, he he, he also created the, the chaos that led to Brian Branch's first interception. That's another great young player back there, by the way, William. In the secondary, Demarco Helms also had seven tackles. I really like his physicality uh, from the safety spot. But I, I got to say, I never thought I would see it, especially this quickly. Uh, Minka was as good as any freshman I've ever seen at Alabama on defense. Malachi Moore is in that conversation. He absolutely has made a, a Minka Fitzpatrick level uh, impact. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I just have been shocked. You know, when you when you look at, you know, I, I think because, you know, the, the it, it just would appear on the hoof that, you know, he probably needed a Marlon Humphrey year to get bigger and stronger, but obviously I was wrong about that. Um, and he can go out there and perform at a really, really high level. And, um, you know, I, I think that's the thing that, that we're all so lucky as Alabama fans. You know, when you look around at the other teams and, you know, we've got an opportunity to, or at least I have this year because of the way the schedule um, was was done up. And you, and you look at, other programs you know you you don't hear you know Auburn fans talking about well their O-line's better this year than they were last year because they're not um you know really and truly I mean maybe Bo Nix is slightly better than he was as a true freshman but I mean he hasn't you know set the woods on fire um so you know I, I think that's just something when you know especially when you start talking about all these players um obviously the the biggest trophy out there um, you know, for them is, is to, you know, win the SEC championship and go to the playoffs and win another national championship. But when you start talking about all of these players on both sides of the ball and, and how quickly, especially, you know, in a Nick Saban secondary um, that's as complicated as it is, um, it's really just blown me away with Malachi Moore having the, you know, the type of season that he's been able to have and, um, just how quickly he's been able to put it all together physically and mentally on the field. It's, it's like you said, um, I definitely would agree that, that, you know, he's definitely in the conversation with what Minka Fitzpatrick did as a true freshman. And Thomas, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. You, we were, uh, of course, we understand Minka did struggle a little bit in the national championship game in 2015. Alabama still won the game, but Minka is, was as good as any DB I ever saw at Alabama. I still think he's going to Canton be in the Hall of Fame, and I still think it was one of the dumbest trades in the Dolphins' history uh, to trade him to the Pittsburgh Steelers, and it's going to go down, especially if the Steelers win the Super Bowl this year, as one of the great trades in Steeler history. 
but your thoughts on what we've seen out of Malachi Moore and really Brian Branch as well and some of this young talent defensively. Well, but I'll, I'll, I'm going to close with Malachi Moore, but the one question mark left on this defense is the safety play. I think it's getting better. Uh, I'm not sure that the players that have been starting are going to get much better, but in Brian Branch and other young players and, and Helms, that might be able to take the defense to the next level. Kind of late in the game to get there, but it's a thought. But in terms of Malachi Moore, what can he do? Well, Alabama's got two lockdown corners in Josh Job and Pat Sertain. You know, Sertain, he did get burned by Seth Williams yesterday, but Seth Williams dropped it. That happens. But more than anything, that third corner that could potentially take a tight end or take a running back or however you want to scheme it up is a big deal. And, you know, contextually, what does that mean? It means that you can run more complicated defenses and have confidence in the scheme working. And with the problem with playing a slot corner, and that's essentially what the star position, what Malachi Moore does, is that you can't use the sideline to kind of cheat. Because think about it. You come off, you're out wide, and you're either going to go straight or you're going to go in towards the middle of the field. That doesn't mean it's easy. It just means that you have some things. You can make some assumptions at the snap. If you play a slot corner, you can go in, you can go out, you can go up, you can stop, you can curl, you can do a bunch more different stuff. So it's a stressful position, and with the proliferation of skill on the outside in most modern offenses, you need that star cornerback to be a really, really solid player. Now, I'm not going to go with Malachi Moore is going to be better than Minka Fitzpatrick. I don't really want to make the comparison because those are shoes that I'm not sure it's possible to fill. But in terms of what Alabama has in that young man for the next two years and change, you have to be really confident. And what is his next step? His next step is going to be how much communication can he take on? Because remember with Minka Fitzpatrick, particularly in the last year, he basically generaled the entire back seven, allowing the front to do, do its own, not do its own thing, but... You know, that, that's the evolution of Malachi Moore. If he can do that next year, I, I'm, I'm 100% on board the Minka Fitzpatrick comparisons. But he's not there yet. But that doesn't mean – two things. doesn't mean he can't get there. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't be impressed with what Alabama has in the young man. Yeah, I mean, it, it, to make it a conversation, it's just unbelievable. Uh, and, that, and really, Minka came in as a five-star, okay? People were expecting him to be good. Malachi was underestimated. I can tell y'all with 100% accuracy that Alabama was asking the kid to gray shirt and even, and this is stunning, even at the late in the recruiting process, was asking Georgia Tech to, to turn up the heat and maybe take the kid because they were, they were going after other players. They didn't realize what they had until he got to campus. And sometimes, uh, you know, in recruiting, you, you lament, you know, Losing a guy like Arik Gilbert, but I'm telling you right now, damn it, they, they've got Jaleel Billingsley. If they had not taken Malachi Moore, that would have been a huge mistake. And he has just been a guy that's almost like an Eddie Jackson when he went in in 2015 and moved to safety, and it was kind of like the missing piece to the defense uh, in the back end. Malachi's had that kind of impact in the secondary because Alabama, you know, their defense, he's become so disruptive. And, and then what I love about him is he plays with a lot of confidence. He's, he messes up. He makes mistakes. But he certainly doesn't let it uh, bother him. And he bounces back and he plays hard, you know, every down. And I think I, in, a lot of, in a lot of ways I know he's not a veteran, but it's been contagious because that's a young secondary back there. Sertain's the leader, uh, but certainly Malachi Moore has played exceptionally well. And, 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 and uh, Thomas, I'll tell you this. I know Sertain was involved there on that deep ball, but he thought he had safety help. And the green-haired bandit, Daniel Wright, who played pretty decent yesterday, especially from a tackling standpoint, made a mental error and was late and didn't get back there. So, But, again, uh, he, he, uh, I'm not going to hate on Daniel Wright too much. He did play better, uh, and uh, he, did, he did tackle yesterday. So he just, they just, as a unit, they need to take this momentum 
and, uh, and, and get ready. And no matter who's playing for LSU, it's, it's always a huge rivalry with Nick Saban involved. And now they get a chance to take out some frustration after, you know, Ed Ogeron, to me, uh, wrote some checks with his mouth last year that he and his players' ass can't cash. So we'll see what happens coming up. I'm, I'm, predict, I'm predicting 66-7 to 7 in this game. I actually think Alabama's going to try to run it up a little bit. I don't blame them. I think we'll see a lot of Bryce Young in the second half because I think Alabama's going to beat the hell out of this LSU team. I don't even know if this LSU team wants to play Alabama. I don't know how much pride they have left. Certainly, hopefully this game will be played. I think the SEC wants it to be played. I think they'll send that word to Ed Ogeron strongly that, you know, if you can, if it's possible to play, play because Kentucky's played with a short deck the last two weeks and gotten beaten. So, uh, you know, cry me a river with LSU's uh, opt-outs. Alabama wasn't healthy uh, when they played the Bayou Bengals a season ago. But I, I just think Alabama's the better team. I think uh, much like uh, it was, it's an even more just, uh, just outlandish mismatch in the Auburn game from an offensive and defensive line perspective. I don't think LSU's very good along the lines of scrimmage. They've got – you've talked about it, Thomas. They've got freshman quarterbacks. Finley struggled yesterday. So did Max Johnson, Brad Johnson's son. Uh, you know, even if they had Miles Brennan, <laughs> he's not very mobile. I don't know. He might have been a, a, a big-time target back there. He's a much better passer than these other two, more experienced. Uh, but I still don't think he would have had a lot of success, and even with Terrace Marshall. So, to me, I, it's, it's kind of blasphemous to say this. We never would have thought we would have said it at the start of the season. But I think this is the biggest mismatch of the year for Alabama against LSU. This is an LSU team that Williams already talked about. So much turmoil off the field, not just what's going on between the lines. But this is a huge mismatch. And I think Alabama is fixing to go down, much like William did during his career, and pay property taxes in Baton Rouge. But I'll get you two guys' thoughts. But that's my thought. I mean, it may sound too overconfident, but I just think this is a huge mismatch, William, between Alabama and LSU. Yeah, and I, I agree for the, you know, the reasons that you just, you know, outlined. Um, I, I'm like you at this point. Um, I, I can't imagine too many or more of those LSU players, um, you know, want to get on the train tracks and get in front of the train that's coming their way um, next weekend down in Baton Rouge. But I'm going to say – uh, 52 to 13 um, mm. on my, my score prediction. But certainly certainly can see where it could be a lot worse. <clears throat> well, so, so I'll jump in. I think – so here, here, here's what would have to happen for Alabama to get into the 60s. And it's kind of – it's a game plan specific thing, not just in terms of – does Bryce Young play and how much does he play, et cetera, et cetera. But much more how LSU chooses to attack the Alabama defense. The past two weeks have been very heavy on let's compress the game down. You know, both Auburn and Kentucky played a lot of ball control to try and limit the Alabama offense. Didn't quite work in Kentucky's case because Kentucky just didn't have the horses. But Auburn, you know, they, they did a decent job particularly in the first half, controlling time of possession and limiting the numbers of possessions. That's not really LSU's game. Like, they, they've never struck me, this offense has never struck me as we're going to three yards in a cloud of dust you, even though I think John Emery with the, uh, the, the opt-out of Terrace Marshall might be their best offensive player, the running back. You know, that's kind of an that, – that, that's up for debate. But anyway, that's what would – I could see the score being held down slightly – if they decide to do the ball control thing, because if Alabama starts picking up extra possessions, you know, if they have 12, 13, 14, 15 possessions in a game, they can get to 70 really, 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 really fast. And you do stuff like that with turnovers and three and outs, or you try and tempo the team and it blows up in your face uh, for, in terms of how the defense, uh, the Alabama defense is able to stiffen. So, I'm going to go – I'll put it this way. I don't think LSU's performance against Texas A&M was a fluke. I think Alabama's defense is better than Texas A&M's, and LSU only made hay in that game at all in the fourth quarter. So I'm going to go 
I think it's going to be ugly. I think LSU, there are going to be some real sad LSU fans when Alabama's done with them. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think it's going to be extremely one-sided, no doubt about it. Uh, and, again, uh, happy to see the growth uh, from this football team. I still think they've got upside left, which is uh, really exciting to watch. I've really enjoyed watching this team compete during this unusual season. Uh, certainly, it's been unlike any other, but hopefully it's going to be able to be finished and uh, the SEC can get the 10 games in and then have uh, an SEC championship game that would be one of the most highly anticipated in the history of the conference because it would likely be for the Heisman Trophy right now with what Kyle Trask and Mac Jones are doing. Mac Jones now 23 touchdowns, three interceptions, uh, and only in over 2,700 passing yards. I think uh, right now uh, Kyle Trask has around 30, 34, 35 touchdown passes, but still uh, Mac Jones has been tremendous and really hasn't thrown the ball nearly as much when you look at attempts. Trask has almost a game's more worth of attempts uh, than uh, the efficient Mac Jones. And, of course, I think Alabama's got a more well-rounded offense. The Gators, not a very good uh, running football team. But we'll, we got a chance, hopefully, to talk about Florida in the coming weeks. Uh, but I did want to talk a little recruiting in the last few minutes of the show. Uh, it's now been confirmed while we were recording this, there's been another confirmation of a visitor, uh, some interesting ones. The most interesting, of course, Michigan commit Xavier Worthy, a wide receiver from Fresno, California. He and his mother flying into Tuscaloosa attending the game. He has been committed to Michigan, a program you're very familiar with, William, uh, due to family ties. Uh, he's an outstanding talent. Really, people believe a five-star, though he hasn't been rated one. Many compare him to Devontae Smith with all of the uh, the uh, just the turmoil around the Michigan program. I think he's seriously considering a flip. He's going to enroll early, uh, so he'll be making a decision, a final one, on December the 16th, uh, you know, for the early signing period. But, William, it looks strongly uh, that Alabama could get Xavier Worthy. And I know people will ask about Brian Thomas from Walker, Louisiana. They're still involved with him. Some still believe they lead. But he is going to wait till February to sign. So Alabama will have to see where they are from a spot standpoint and what moves they can make by then. But I think that Worthy is too good not to take. And then, and then uh, of course, Tunmise Adelaide from uh, from uh, uh, from uh, Katy, Texas, the teammate of Jalen Milrow, Alabama's quarterback commit. He was in town, and it's now been confirmed that Xavier Sori from IMG Academy, the, the linebacker that has it down to Florida, Alabama, and Georgia, was in town as well. He's a South Sari guy. It was thought maybe Alabama was done at linebacker. That may not be the case. But, William, your thoughts on uh, Xavier Worthy and the other two young guys, uh, Adelaide, the defensive lineman, and Xavier and Sori, the linebacker, being in town? Well, with the, the dumpster fire that's going on in Ann Arbor right now, you can't blame the kid for wanting to look around, um, you know, especially with just how woefully bad their offense is. Um, you know, I, it, it, to me – that that's one of the biggest head scratchers in college football is, you know, they've given on top of giving him millions and millions of dollars in his bank account, you know, they have invested a ton of money, got a brand new, you know, football facility, beautiful weight room. Um, they've given, you know, Okaki everything possible that he needs to be successful. And, you know, just, you know, you just can't, keep giving somebody that kind of money and not get any better results than they do. Um, I mean, I, I really thought they had a chance to, uh, you know, pick up a win this past weekend against a, a pretty hapless Penn State team. Um, but it, it's it's really become, you know, I, I guess, um, you know, maybe they don't have all the off-the-field controversies that's going on down in Baton Rouge, but that's just become a huge head-scratcher. You know, Harbaugh was already behind the eight ball. Um, you know, trying to get, you know, level with, with Ohio State, um, you know, and, and, and that, that hasn't happened. It's not going to happen this year. So, um, you know, it would be interesting to watch, you know, how many commitments they have currently um, on their recruiting list and who all they end up with on, on National Signing Day, either the early one or the late one. 
because um, I, I guarantee you there's going to be some more people that maybe scratch their head and be like, I, I don't think I'm really ready to sign up for this or not. Um, but that's uh, those are some you know some great players. Um, you know if they could somehow you know in, in my my opinion you know the story kid is probably too too good um, to take a pass on even though Alabama you know doesn't really need any more linebackers. I mean I think you have to kind of start looking at you know is, is he too good of a player to pass up? We'll have to wait and see what happens there. But you know if they, if they can add you know a couple of those guys to what, with what they already have. Um, I think we talked about it this week. I mean, you know, it's just uh, with with what they've got on campus now and what they've got coming just in this offensive line recruiting class, um, it's a scary proposition for for the rest of college football. Um, you know, I think if they can get continue to get better and get that, you know, the, the the talent on the front seven on defense on par with what they put out there on an annual basis with their five best offensive linemen. Um, then, then you'll start to see, um, you know, this defense, regardless of who the defensive coordinator is, um, you know, kind of get that, that swagger back and that standard back on that side of the football as well. But um, it's going to be interesting to see because if you go and look around the rest, you know, I, I think the way some people I think have been surprised with the way that Nick Saban has handled this wacky year. But I, I don't know why. I mean, he, he's handled this thing, you know, the best way you possibly could from, you know, managing his organization and, you know, keeping these kids healthy um, and, and putting just an impressive product out there on the field every Saturday. I mean, you just – I guess it's just human nature to sit back and wonder when the drop-off's going to occur, but it doesn't look like it's going to be anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. Xavier Worthy, I've always been intrigued with. I'd love to get Brian Thomas as well, but I don't know how you take all of them. Uh, they wanted at least four wide receivers in this class. They've already got Ja'Cory Brooks uh, from IMG, who's an outstanding player. Uh, Ajay Hall, who's another bigger receiver, had a great senior year in Tampa. I mean, no doubt about it. Who, and then the, the, the speedster Christian Leary, the slot guy, and Worthy would be a great compliment to these guys. He's, he's another one, William, that's too good, I think, not to take and take early because he's going to enroll early. The majority of this class, I think, is, which is a key to it. Uh, but I, and, they, and they want them to sign early as well, even if they're not going to enroll early. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. And they're so they're involved with so many big-time defensive linemen. They're still involved heavily, as I said, with Shamar Turner of DeSoto, Texas, who's extremely disruptive. Uh, they got the JT kid out in out in, uh, out in uh, Samus, Washington, who's Alabama or Ohio State. And then they've, of course, got Mason Smith, who's got as good a film as any you're going to see. Uh, he's always been thought to be an LSU lean, but you just talked about dumpster fires. LSU is one right now. So we'll see uh, if they're able to close the deal with Mason Smith. I think Alabama is still heavily involved in that. So going to be some interesting decisions because what I've heard, if they could get the right guys, would probably be four more that they would take. But it may be uh, that they make some other moves. It could be a Tim Keenan gray shirt now that he's had that knee injury, the unfortunate one from the uh, standout from Ramsey High School, so we'll have to see what happens there. Uh, but going to be some interesting storylines to follow in recruiting uh, in the next uh, few weeks. And and actually, it's it's interesting, uh, the early signing period will take place the week of the SEC championship game now. So that's going to be hectic right there with the staffs, potentially, of Florida and Alabama. Both of them can clinch their divisions this weekend uh, with wins, so... That's going to be huge for both of those schools. Alabama trying to hold off Texas A&M and the Gators, of course, having to hold off Georgia. Uh, but the Gators nearly have this already salted away. A&M only with one loss as they took care of LSU. So Alabama, that there'll be further motivation uh, to go to Red Stick and dominate. And really quickly, to, before we as we close out the show, I was going to give my thoughts on Alabama basketball. I was very fortunate uh, to make my first trip to Tuscaloosa since March. Uh, due to all these shutdowns, I was credentialed to cover the Alabama basketball opener against Jacksonville State. Very impressive. 81-57 uh, to 57 win, uh, a roster with nine new players. Uh, the usual suspects played pretty well, uh, as uh, Herb Jones had 12 points and 12 rebounds. Jaden Shackelford, 18 points and 11 rebounds himself. And then the newcomers uh, that I'm really excited about, Javon Quinterly. Could he be the third first-round pick at point guard for Alabama uh, in the last few seasons? He had in his debut as Alabama 18 points and three assists, only one turnover, 
not as fast as a guy like Kyra Lewis or Colin Sexton, but very crafty, very good ball handler, very good shooter, very strong finisher at the rim. Uh, and then, of course, James Rojas, who was hurt last year with an ACL, had 8.7 rebounds, should have had double figures, uh, but they had four in double figures, shot 39%, but still, short, but still scored 81 points in their opener. They will be going back on the floor tomorrow night at 8.30 p.m. on ESPN2 against Stanford in the Maui Classic that is now being played in Asheville, North Carolina. So an opportunity in a, in a loaded field for to see more Alabama basketball. But I thought it was a very good performance. As we said, John Petty, the uh, the, the uh, senior from Huntsville from my area, he had uh, 14 points and six rebounds. Didn't have a great shooting game, but uh, that I, I don't think that should be a worry. John's going to have some outstanding games for Alabama. And this team was much more uh, had much more athletic ability, much deeper. They played all you know uh, 12 guys they had available, and uh, and and that won't continue all year. They're gonna they're gonna they're gonna uh, cut the rotation down to probably a, a eight or nine guy rotation uh, as, as, when they get into conference play. But still, you can see the talent, no doubt about it. And so uh, they didn't shoot well, as I said, but still were able to score a lot of points. And I think they're going to be a lot better defensively due to the length and athleticism. So it was great to see Nate Oates in his second year. Uh, and it was great to be a part of Kyra Lewis's draft party. He was the first uh, University of Alabama player from my area, from Madison County, to go in the lottery. He went 13th overall to the New Orleans Hornets. Or excuse me, New Orleans. I knew I'd do that. New Orleans Pelicans. Really excited about him to be a part of the Pelicans with uh, certainly Zion Williamson. But it's an exciting time to be a part of Alabama basketball and football. It's a great time to be a Bama fan. And we appreciate all the support of BAMS Radio. We're getting a lot of listens, and we everybody's anticipating the show. And I want to thank Thomas the Wizard Watts. I want to thank William Redfish Barger. And we're going to come to you next Sunday after hopefully an evisceration in Baton Rouge as Alabama can go 9-0 and and then look to their road trip to Fayetteville to close out the regular season on December the 12th against Arkansas. But for everyone, good night, everybody, and roll tide.